welcome. We're here to talk about bloodborne viruses, STIs and HIV in GP land. How to approach this topic. My name is Miriam Grotowski and I'm a GP from rural New South Wales and I have an interest in sexual health and medical education. I'm also the chair of the GP STI Working Party for New South Wales Health. I'd just like to acknowledge that this podcast is being filmed on various Aboriginal lands across our wonderful country. I'd just like to acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging and any Aboriginal people that are joining us today. New South Wales is a world leader in responding to bloodborne viruses and STIs with a strong partnership helping this. The partnership is between government, community organisations, clinicians, academics and those with lived experience. Together, these people combine a driving force in this response. The contribution of GPs is key to our success. With primary care diagnosing and treating the majority of all STIs in New South Wales. Together, we've had considerable success in reducing rates of HIV and Hep C. But you know, those STIs, they're still proving pretty difficult to manage. STI infections continue to rise. Of particular concern is the number of syphilis diagnoses that we see in the New South Wales general population. Unfortunately, this has been accompanied by a rise in congenital syphilis cases. These are entirely preventable outcomes and they could be improved by increased antenatal screening for syphilis. New South Wales Health has a goal of eliminating hepatitis C virus as a public health concern by 2028. New hep C treatments are really effective with greater than 95% cure rates and they're also associated with minimal side effects. We're also committed to reducing hepatitis B infection and improving the health outcomes for those who live with hepatitis B. So, with all of this in mind, today we hope to explore which patient groups are most at risk, which of ours in general practice do we really want to focus on and why? If we're going to focus on some patients, how do we start the conversation? How do we do it respectfully? How do we normalise these discussions as part of our everyday practice? Importantly, we'll hear about the patient experience and how this can inform our GP practice going forwards. Now, clearly, I can't do all of this on my own, so I have a wonderful panel to support me today. I'll let them introduce themselves. Let's start with you, Kim. Hi, Miriam. Thanks for the opportunity. My name's Kim Collins. I work um, as a sexual health physician in a couple of rural parts of New South Wales, or regional parts of New South Wales, so on the mid-north coast and also down uh, in Murrumbidgee. I started life as a GP um, and worked for about a decade in general practice but moved sideways into sexual health and maintain an interest in trying to support the GP workforce um, to, to do sexual health uh, well and uh, to know where they can go for some support. Thanks, Kim. That's great. Great to have you along. Um, next, we might hear from Catherine. Thanks, Miriam. My name's Catherine McQuillan. I'm a hepatology nurse practitioner for Western New South Wales Local Health District. 
Um, I'm passionate about providing access to healthcare for rural patients. I'm really largely focused on the elimination of hepatitis C, so spending my time testing at-risk populations in the community setting. Um, and I've just started using a mobile van to get out, out into the outreach community, utilising the point-of-care testing machine, dry blood spot testing and venipuncture testing. Um, I provide those assessments, diagnosis, education and support and treatment to clients with hepatitis C. Great, Catherine. So a wealth of experience there that we'll be tapping into today. Um, Murray, can we hear from you next, please? Thanks, Miriam. Hi, everyone. I'm Murray. I've spent the majority of the last two years working in youth advocacy. Um, I'm currently working now in family, domestic and sexual violence policy, but I'm really looking forward to sharing some of the concerns I've heard from young people I've worked with in accessing sexual health care. Great, great to have you along. And joining us um, last but by no means least is Harrison today. Hi, um, thank you for letting me uh, take part uh, today. So my name is Harrison Sarasola and I work for ACON, which is the New South Wales based LGBTQ health organisation. So at ACON, I'm the team leader of the peer education team. Uh, and our teams focus specifically on supporting gay, bi, queer men, trans and cis across New South Wales to access the latest sexual health and HIV information they require to make informed and empowered decisions about their sexual health. Um, it's peer-led work uh, that's driven through free community workshops, forums, events and online engagement. A lot of that is also volunteer driven. Um, and I'm also a community member myself. And I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. So really looking forward to also bringing that perspective to the conversation today as well. Okay, panel. So here's a scenario I want you to put your heads together to think about and help these GPs manage this the best way that they can. So Sam, he's a young person. We'll say he's about 28. And he presents requesting a vaccination check. He's about to go on a trip to Southeast Asia, which he's really excited about, as we all are, given the last few years that we've had. He wants some advice. What are we going to do? Is this potentially an opportunity to raise those questions we were talking about earlier? So, Kim, over to you. What do you think? In terms of speaking with him about his risks, I always speak with young people when they go travelling um, about taking condoms and telling them that condoms are their friend. They stop them from getting infections and allow them to decide when they want to become parents. So it's useful for contraception as well. And I think that a lot of people particularly young people in Australia, don't realise that a lot of the destinations they travel to have much higher rates of bloodborne viruses and STIs. Um, I'd probably have a quick conversation about tattooing and about um, uh, injecting drug use as well, um, just to sort of highlight whether there's some of the things that he's got on his list of things that he might be doing, um, and just give some general advice around, around those risks. So that's with his travels. Anything changed as a result of the pandemic as far as STIs, Kim? I think the pandemic has uh, caused us a few issues around STIs. I think it's been a lot harder to access care during that time and people, what they might ordinarily have taken to their family doctor, they've sort of sat on and not done anything about. And I think in particular that's affected syphilis. We are seeing a significant increase in infectious syphilis, particularly amongst um, young heterosexuals. Uh, there's been and if, you know, increased rates amongst men who have sex with men probably since the, around 2005-ish, but significant increase in heterosexual um, infectious syphilis. 
we are seeing some uh, reduction in rates of HIV in Australian-born men who have sex with men, but we're seeing increased numbers in heterosexuals and also increased numbers in men, particularly from Southeast Asia. So conversations about what his risk are potentially going to be during travel in terms of STIs and blood-borne viruses would be really important. Yeah. So are there any other conversations we should be having with Sam? So we're talking about his risks when he goes away. Are there any other conversations we should be having with Sam? Harrison? Yeah, I was literally just going to... So Kim is... Um bang on as always. I think the thing that I would say here is about how to get into that conversation could be the tip mm. that I would provide GP. So Sam is going on an overseas trip. That's so exciting, Sam. Mm. Hey, Sam, how are you, have you got your travel insurance sorted? Have you got your, your vaccines sorted? Like, where are you at in terms of your planning stage? Also, have you thought about your sexual health? Like, are you going to get up to no good, Sam? And if so, how are you going to keep safe? Um, because condoms could be an option. Obviously, PrEP could be an option as well. Uh, obviously, if Sam uh, felt that that was something that was suitable for him. Um, the other thing as well uh, that it might, I don't know how you would bring this up, but the other thing that we're seeing in the data as well is that, um, it, particularly I'm thinking about the Gay Asian Men's Survey that data that was recently um, released that we did see a fairly high level of condom breakage. Um, so it actually might be an opportunity to also mm. talk about how to use condoms effectively and what you might mm. want to use in combination with condoms such as lube um, mm. to ensure that you're using them correctly as well. Because if Sam was only relying on condoms uh, and not prep as an example, um, you might just want to take that little extra time with Sam to talk about how to use condoms, uh, which is actually a conversation that I don't think a lot of people, I don't know if Murray had this experience, but I'd never really got a conversation on how to use condoms before engaging with ACON services. So could also be something to, to kind of fold into that conversation. Mm. Absolutely. I also wonder too, sometimes in general practice, we use this opportunity, someone coming in for vaccinations overseas, not just to talk about what risks they may experience, but what risks they might have already had, what Sam's background and what Sam might already have. And sometimes we use this as an opportunity to do some screening then and there, you know, if Sam's up for it. So, because we might not see the likes of Sam very often. And if he goes off on his trip, we not, might not see him when he comes back either. So, this could be a great opportunity to have that conversation about, look, Sam, you know, um, I notice you haven't been in for ages. Just wondering if you'd be open to a sexual health check and then talking that through. So what do you reckon about that, Murray? How would that go down, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think that sounds great, Miriam. I think having a really frank and strength-based conversation around sexual health testing prior to the trip um, is a good way to bring it up. Also saying something like, I usually recommend sexual health testing before going on a holiday or when was the last mm. time you had your sexual health tested mm. uh, could be a good way to make Sam feel like they weren't being singled out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you raise a really good point there too, which is, you know, um, how do you normalise this in our own practice because it helps patients feel like we're not judging them or making judgments you know we haven't chosen this because Sam looks like Sam looks however Sam looks um, but that might make Sam feel uncomfortable that we're doing this because this is actually good practice so I think that's a really good point there Murray. So look Sam does have some testing whether it's before he goes or after he comes back and the result is positive for his syphilis serology. What are we going to do? This GP's got this result, not sure what to do. Kim? Uh, 
I think for, for most of us, uh, most of us who've been in general practice, that syphilis was a pretty rare thing. It's now become a lot more common. So there are lots of resources that you um, have at your fingertips. I think one of the best ones is the um, Australian STI Management Guideline. Uh, you just literally put that into Google and that should be on your desktop because that will give you a lot of information about what to do in terms of um, if you've got a positive STI result. So that's the Australian STI Management Guidelines. Um, you also got the Sexual Health um, Information Link that Miriam spoke about in the first podcast. You can also develop a relationship with your local sexual, publicly funded sexual health clinic and get to know your local sexual health physician. And New South Wales is extraordinarily fortunate to have that network of uh, clinics. Uh, they're free. They're totally confidential. It's our core business. We're happy to support you. So that's great. Yeah, that's great, Kim, because I think one of the things that happens, as you say, this isn't something we come across frequently for most of the GPs that will be listening to this podcast. And the syphilis serology interpretation can be a bit confusing and we don't want to get it wrong. There's experts out there, there's information out there, and it's about accessing that and not being um, worried about doing that. You know, even though I work in this area, I used to work in sexual health, um, I still will phone my local sexual health clinic absolutely to just run my thinking past someone who's working in this space all the time to make sure that the treatment that I'm recommending is the appropriate treatment. So I think that's really important. There are people out there and don't forget, you know, those um, sexual health information line from 9 till 5.30 Monday to Friday has a doctor or a nurse at the end of that line to give you that information if you don't remember any other thing from today. So, yeah, so go on. Sorry, as you said, Miriam, the um, interpretation of syphilis test is complex and it's Mm. challenging, but don't let that stop you from doing it. Um, Mm. uh, ASHAM has actually made a really excellent um, syphilis decision-making tool. It's a great little flowchart and it's very easy to follow. Just Google syphilis tool and it will come up and that will also help you in, in that process. That's a great tip. Thanks, Kim. And um, Harrison, were you going to add something there? Yeah, just to say as well, just as you turn to a peer in a sexual health clinic or uh, through shill uh, to kind of get guidance on the clinical side of the um, syphilis mm. uh, testing, I think the other thing to remember is you also have community connection points as well, such as ACON. So for instance, if you were working with an LGBTQ client and you were aware that that client had a lot of um, previous trauma within a medical setting, which isn't too uncommon, unfortunately, within our communities, you might actually also want to just check in with, um, and she would also be a potentially really great place for this as well, because a lot of their stuff are really great and have worked a lot with our communities. But, you know, you could also pick up uh, the phone to us and we could kind of put you in touch with a peer who could also uh, maybe talk you through any particular sensitivities that we know of within community around certain uh, STIs such as syphilis. Mm, Great. That's a great idea. So, you know, Sam shows us that you can use different consultations as an opportunity to raise uh, questions and also information given opportunities around sexual health. So, you know, going back to what you said in that first podcast there, Harrison, it's really important that GPs can also be a source of information for our patients and it's an opportunity to have a conversation about safe sex practices um, and the reasons that we're suggesting testing. Uh, reflecting on uh, Sam testing positive for syphilis and the conversation earlier about uh, condom use, 
I think it's important also to remember where possible to avoid overly directive language. I've definitely heard from a lot of young people I've worked with that uh, when they are told by a doctor something along the lines of, okay, so from now on, you must always use condoms. What that tells that young person is, okay, if I don't use a condom and then maybe I think I have an STI in the future, I'm going to need to find a different doctor because I'm embarrassed that I didn't follow that instruction. Uh, so rather focusing on the benefits of condom use and recommending condom use, I think that's a better way to frame the conversation. A really good point there, Murray. And, you know, again, GPs can draw on the experience that they have with other lifestyle advice. You know, we're forever giving it out in other areas of our practice, such as heart health and exercise. And so, you know, using those skills of the patient's engagement, where's the patient at? How can we help motivate the patient themselves to take hold of this and manage this themselves? Kim? I was just going to mention the, it's on a slightly different tack, just the issue around contact tracing. And yeah, great, thanks. that we can provide for GPs around that. So your locally funded sexual health clinic can, um, the publicly funded sexual health clinic can help you with that. But there are some other great tools online. So let them know. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with that. And um, so this is a, a contact tracing site that you can access and either anonymously or your patient or yourself can anonymously just um, put in the person's um, mobile phone number and a text will be sent to that sexual contact to let them know that there has been they've been exposed to an STI and, and which one it is. So they're really helpful um, things to do to, know, to make sure that you're actually doing your public health role of making sure the contact tracing is done, especially with syphilis. Yeah, it's a really important point. Uh, again, in terms of that information, I'll often get the person's mobile phone, get them to open up their search engine, show them the Melbourne Sexual Health Clinic website, mm. which has got great patient information sheets digitally that they can then go back to for further information over time um, and also show their sexual partners, um, you know, so that they've got a greater understanding. And if you do it on their mobile phone, they're more likely to remember it and um, be able to, to access it into the future. So there's plenty of resources out there as well. I know that Asham has some great resources as well. And the uh, again, New South Wales Sexual Health um, Information Line would be a, a space too that people get advice if they felt unsure around the contact tracing even in that space. So um, plenty of practical advice there for the GPs.